you have a Bible with you this morning, why don't you open it to the book of Acts? We're getting a little bit of ring here um, off the microphone. The book of Acts, if you don't have a Bible with you, um, are they in front of the seat backs in front of you? The book of Acts, the book of Acts is a little bit toward the back, that far. And we're going to be starting in chapter 22, Acts chapter 22. How many of you really like roller coasters? Yeah? How many of you really don't like roller coasters? Good, good. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm supposed to introduce myself. I'm John. Many of you know me. I've been here uh, off and on, and uh, I'm a friend of Tim's and um, becoming a friend of many of you. So, uh, yeah. So, roller coasters. Don't like roller coasters. Okay, good, good. So um, we'll keep that little survey in mind as we read Acts 22. We're going to start in verse 30. Here's what it says. On the next day, so what happened the previous day? Well, Paul was arrested, you'll remember, in the temple um, on false charges. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he, that's the Roman tribune, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, so looking intently at the Jewish council who were accusing him, Paul says this. Well, not that. Paul says this. Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded that those who stood by him strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by him said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee and a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that we have his word that we're able to hear from him through his word. 
So roller coasters are a very divisive issue in society. It's not like we fight over them, but people tend to feel rather strongly. I'm either pro-roller coaster or I'm against roller coaster. In the year 1900, when I was a senior in high school, um, I went to my senior prom with my girlfriend. And we did what the thing was that you do the day after prom, at least in our high school, and that was we all went to Great America. And I knew that my girlfriend was really excited to go to Great America because she had told me like 2,000 times in the last three days, I can't wait to go to Great America. My favorite roller coaster is the American Eagle. Anybody be on the American Eagle before? Yeah, a lot of you. It used to be that the American Eagle was the tallest wooden roller coaster in the world. I don't know if it still is, but it used to be. I, up to that time, had ridden one roller coaster in my life. It was approximately 20 feet tall. Daniel, do you know how tall this ceiling is? 22 feet. All right, we're making that up. 22 feet. So it's probably even less tall than that. Um, and I was probably eight when I wrote it, and it was fine. But when we got to Great America and I looked up at the American Eagle, I was panicked. But I was 18. My girlfriend at the time, you know, thought I should be a strong man, tough person. And she was excited to go on the American Eagle. So I was like, all right, let's go on the American Eagle. So we get in line and we get closer and we get closer and we get closer. And my panic rises and rises and rises. And finally we get on. And uh, at least back then, all they had was the crash bar that came down. It wasn't like a five-point harness or anything. And we started going up, up to the top. And then the bottom drops out. And you start rocketing down. And the thing about a wooden roller coaster is it not only goes down and up and around the bends, but the wheels are like train wheels on a train track. And the train track is wood. And so they go like this. And so your whole car is going back and forth like this as you're going up and down and around and around. And it makes this really loud noise, right? <laughs> so my girlfriend is going, woo, and I'm going, ah. Finally, we get to the end of the ride, and we pull up to the platform and slow down, and I am ready to get off and run away. And uh, my girlfriend says, again. Three days later, we broke up. Not because of the American Eagle, for other reasons. That's a story for another time. But the American Eagle, and that, I'll tell you, I was 18 years old. That was the last roller coaster I ever rode. So I'm in the no thank you very much camp. But roller coasters are interesting. They can be fun to certain people. But what do you do when life becomes a roller coaster? What do you do when your life feels like going up and then the bottom drops out, down, around a bend? And the car's going not just around the bend, but it's going, <laughs> and you're thinking to yourself, I can't even hang on. I don't know what's going to happen now. 
I don't know if I can take any more of this. Because it's one thing to be on a roller coaster that's been like checked out and safety approved and thousands and thousands of people ride it every day. But this is real life. How do you thrive when life becomes a roller coaster? Our passage today gives us some hints. It gives us three realities, design realities, if you will, about life as a roller coaster. That if we will embrace those realities, we can thrive when life becomes a roller coaster. The first one is this. We must remember the reality that God designed the ride. God designed the ride. Keep your finger in Acts 22 and then flip back to Acts 20. Acts 20, verse 22. So here Paul hasn't got back to Jerusalem yet. He's talking to the elders of the church in Ephesus. And he's saying goodbye to them, and he says this. And now, look, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit is compelling him to go to Jerusalem. He's constrained. He's, he's locked in to go into Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Design principle number one is that God designed the ride. There's nothing that can happen to you apart from God's will, apart from him allowing it. There's all kinds of like theological debate. Is God the author of evil? Or does he make bad things happen to good people? And we're not going to go there because people a lot smarter than us have argued those things. But we do know this, that God allows things to happen that aren't amazing. Right? He allows us to suffer. You read about Paul. Paul suffered all kinds of ways. And he was constrained by the Holy Spirit, by God himself, to go to Jerusalem not knowing exactly what would happen, but he had a hint that there was going to be hardship and possibly imprisonment. God designed the ride. God knows what your life will be like. See, I have this view of God oftentimes that God is up in heaven and he kind of created everything and he spun the world off and it's this grand experiment now. And, and we can pray and we can access God and go pray and, you know, hear from him. And, but then we're on our own, right? We do our daily life in the world. And God is, as one singer sang, watching us from a distance. But that's not the God that we read about in the Bible. God isn't watching us from a distance. He's involved in every aspect of our daily life. And he's not surprised by whatever it is you may be going through or on the precipice of going through or just coming out of. God know, knew about it before he created anything. God designed the ride. If I had had the chance to talk with the lead engineer, the lead designer of the American Eagle, before I got on the ride, 
and had been able to ask him a whole bunch of questions, how do you think the ride would have been different for me? Okay, honestly, it probably wouldn't have been different at all. But in my head, it would have been different because I could have asked him, about, okay, so what about this issue? And what about this year? And, and how do I know that it's safe? And, and how did you prepare for this? And what? We have access to the designer of the ride. And, and we know that God is intimately involved. In Matthew, we read that God is so involved in our everyday lives that even a sparrow doesn't die apart from God's knowledge. And that even the hair on our head is numbered. And for some of us, that's a tricky thing because that number can change hour by hour, right? But God knows that about you. He's very, very close to you and very concerned about you. In the opening chapter of James's letter, he's talking about going through trials. And he says, look, if any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you needs help understanding what's happening here, ask God and ask in faith. When we're on the downslope, when we're in the middle of what we think may be crashing and burning, when life is a roller coaster, we can go to the designer. And we can get his perspective on it. And we can understand a little bit more of his heart and what he's doing in all of this. God designed the ride. The second design reality is that God designed you for the ride. God designed you for the ride. A very wise tomato once said that God made you special and loves you very much. God made you special and loves you very much. See, God's design for you and God's design for the ride, it's a matched pair. You are designed to be on this ride. If you think about a roller coaster, there's all kinds of different types and styles of roller coasters. The American Eagle has you know, kind of the old-fashioned open cars that you get into, and they've got like the train wheels, and, the, and, and then there's like the Superman ride where you're actually um, lying horizontally, and you know, the thing attaches above on some kind of a bar, and there's all kinds of different designs and stuff. But the car is always designed for the ride. You couldn't take the American Eagle car and put it on the Superman ride. It wouldn't work. And in the same way, you're designed for what you are experiencing. It's not a mistake that you're going through what you're going through. And God has used the gifts, the strengths, your birthplace, your experiences, uh, everything that you've been through to prepare you for the moment that you're in. And so we see uh, in verse uh, chapter 20, um, 22, no, I apologize. Yeah, chapter 22. Um, toward the end, uh, Paul is about to get whipped, right? They're going to beat the truth out of him. So 22, chapter 25, when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul says to the centurion, the Roman uh, leader who's standing there, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? And that freaks people out because, no, that's not lawful. 
But when the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said, Are you about to do this? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And Paul says, Yes. And the tribune says, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. And Paul says, Yeah, uh, I'm a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. And then you keep reading into verse uh, uh, 20, uh, chapter 23, what we read here this morning. And he says in verse 8, 9, 5, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. So he's a Roman citizen by birth. He's also a Pharisee. He's also been called by God to testify about Jesus everywhere he goes. He's been prepared for this moment. In fact, as he was being arrested, uh, probably a week or two ago, you read about that, where he was in the temple and the, <clears throat> the Jewish leaders threw up a mob and then the Romans come down to arrest him. As he's being arrested, he says, can I address the crowd? And what does he say? He talks about Jesus. He testifies to Jesus. Everything about Paul's experiences and birth and, and calling, it all has brought him to this place. It's no mistake that he's on this particular ride because he's been designed for this particular ride. Flip back uh, in your Bible to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Swish, swish, swish. Go to pages. As we look at Psalm 139. Verse 13. You're probably familiar with some of these words. The psalmist says, For you, uh, we're going to start in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Depths of the earth is obviously a metaphor for the womb there. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Notice how he's talking about his creation, how God created him and made him, the psalmist. But then he seamlessly moves to talking about the days that were written for him, the experiences that we, he would have, the life that he would live. And he says those days were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. God has designed the ride, and God has designed the rider for each other. So he's designed us for the ride. He's designed the ride for us, for some reason, to be together. In Ephesians, Paul writes this, that we were created to accomplish something unique in our days. He says, but we are God's workmanship, Ephesians 2.10, his works of art created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
So God had this plan for us, and he knew that there were going to be drops and dips and turns and maybe even loop-de-loops. And he knew that it was going to be this kind of a roller coaster that you were going to be on. And he knew that there were going to be times when you would be happy to be on any other ride than the ride that's your life right now. It doesn't surprise him. Later in the book of James, after he says in chapter 1 to pray for wisdom, we read these words. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What does the devil want to do when you're freaked out a little bit about the roller coaster ride you're on? Well, he wants to stir up trouble, right? He wants you to be even more freaked out. He wants to use your being freaked out as an excuse for you to turn from God, to do something you know you shouldn't do, to not do something that you know you should do, whatever which in the long run you know just makes life worse. And what's, what's, the, what's the answer? James says it starts with submitting to God. Submit to God. Release your battle for control. One of the reasons that my girlfriend could ride the ride like this, whee, and I was riding it like, was because I was out of control. There was nothing I could do. I was scared witless, and I could do nothing to fix this situation. So I was white-knuckling it. I had my fingers wrapped around that bar, holding on as tight as I could, thinking that would somehow help if I started to be thrown from the ride. And she didn't have any problems with control. She knew it wasn't in her control. But she trusted the designers that it's a safe ride. Hmm. Trusting the designer that it's a safe ride. Release your battle for control. Number three. So God designed the ride. God designed us for the ride. Number three. God designed it all for a purpose. God designed it all for a purpose. Look back at Acts 23, verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said. Now, I don't want to skip over that first part. The following night. When did this happen? The day before. And it must have been very stressful. And it wasn't that night that God stood before him, that Jesus appeared to him. He had to wait another 24 hours before Jesus appeared to him. I don't know what the theological implication is for that, but the practical implication is sometimes that God doesn't show up on our timetable, right? We want to know right now, Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus, get back here. Jesus, Jesus, hello, Jesus, I'm knocking. Why aren't you answering? But the next day, next night, Jesus shows up and he says, look, take courage, be courageous. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, we saw he did that when he was first arrested, so you must testify also in Rome. God designed it all for a purpose. There's a purpose for the ride. There's a purpose for what you're going through. 
There's a purpose for what's ahead. There's a purpose for whatever is causing you to feel queasy in your stomach or causing you to feel anxiety about the next paycheck or is causing you to feel tension in your relationship or is caught whatever it is that this roller coaster ride of life is dishing out to you right now. There is a purpose for it. How many people know what today is? What's special about today? Dayton. Dad's birthday. Happy birthday to you. What's that? Oh. Happy birthday to you. What else is special about today? The Super Bowl. Yeah. If you didn't know, the Super Bowl is the grand championship of the National Football League. And it's also, um, ironically, the 23rd anniversary of Tom Landry's death. How many of you know who Tom Landry is? A couple people. Tom Landry was the very first coach of the Dallas Cowboys football team. Started in 1960. He coached for 29 years as the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He was a very strong believer in Jesus Christ. Tom Landry had 20 consecutive winning seasons. He's the only coach in NFL history to have accomplished that. He is in the Hall of Fame. He uh, has had 270 wins in his career which is the fourth in the NFL out of all head coaches of all time. He had 20 uh, playoff wins, which is second of all coaches of all time. He was an amazing coach and very vocal about his faith. And he said this. He said, my job is to make people do what they don't want to do so they can become who they want to become. As a head coach, he said, my job is to make people do what they don't want to do. They don't want to work out. They don't want to practice. They don't want to learn these plays. You know, I mean, it's hard work, right? To make people do what they don't want to do so that they can become what they want to become. There is a purpose for your roller coaster ride. There's a purpose for the pain that you're in. There's a purpose for what you've experienced. There's a purpose. Remember what Paul said when he was before the Jews? He said, I'm on trial for my hope in the resurrection. If you try to discern God's purposes apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're going to come up short. And there's a saying that, that society throws around that you know everything happens for a purpose. Well, yeah, it does, because there's a God in heaven who has made sure that everything happens for a purpose. In fact, Paul says in his letter to the Romans, all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That doesn't mean it's going to feel good now, what it means is someday you will be able to look at Jesus in the face and say, I'm glad you didn't do it my way. I'm glad 
I went through this hardship. I'm glad I rode the roller coaster that was the life that you designed for me. I'm glad it worked out the way it did because your ways are perfect. And I might not have reached the goal. I might not have become everything I wanted to become in this life. But this life is just the beginning. This life is just the beginning. God has a plan for us, plans to prosper us and give us a hope and a future. God will cause all things to work to our good. He doesn't promise that that will happen in this life. Now, we can experience some amazing things in life. And even in the midst of the roller coaster ride, we can experience contentment and peace, hope, and a sense of excitement that God is at work. But we need to keep our eyes on eternity because that's when the big payoff comes. That's when we get off the ride and look back and say, oh, that's how this all works together. That's why it was so hard. Yeah, that's what you were doing all this time. I'm going to do something just a little bit different this morning. We've said that we need to ask God for his perspective. We need to release our battle for control. And uh, I want to give us a chance to actually do that. So if you just bow your heads with me, close your eyes. We're not going to do anything super weird. We're just going to pray together. God, I pray that you would be with us in this moment and lead us to a new place of trust and faith in you. And Lord, through your servant James, you have said that if we lack wisdom when we're facing trials, that we should ask you for wisdom that we can gain your perspective. And so, Lord, we just, uh, we hold our trials before you now, whatever it is that we're going through, and we do ask for wisdom. We ask that you would speak to us, that you would show us a little bit more of what we're up to. Father, later James says that we're to submit to you and release, or submit to you and um, resist the devil. And I would just encourage you to, to maybe hold your hands out, palms up, like you're, you're holding on to whatever it is that's difficult right now. And almost just like it's in a box, like offer it to Jesus. God, we relinquish our control, we release the battle for control. And we trust you with whatever this is that we're going through right now. And then, Lord, you say that we can have your, your peace, your shalom, your wholeness, your, your blessing. That we can be anxious for nothing if we'll present our requests to you and we can receive your peace. And so right now, God, I ask that you would exchange the worries and concerns that we're walking through for your peace, that our load would be light, 
Go ahead and open your eyes. Jesus says to Paul, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Now that's a promise, right? The promise is, you're going to make it, Paul. You've got to go to Rome. I'm going to get you to Rome so you can testify about me. And I would just encourage you over the next weeks as we continue through the book of Acts to keep that promise in mind. Can we take Jesus at his word? We're going to see again and again and again the challenges that the enemy, the enemies of Christ and circumstances pose to that promise. Paul getting to Rome, it's going to feel like as we continue through Acts, he'll never get there. He'll never, Jesus isn't going to keep that promise. But that's all part of the roller coaster. Can we trust Jesus? Can we take him at his word? Will he do what he said he was going to do? Yeah, we'll have to find out. We'll find that out. God, we do thank you that you are an amazing God, that you are close, that you are intimately involved with us, that you have created us for a purpose. And God, we do know that we can take you at your word. And so I pray that you would build our faith, that you would open our eyes to see you as you really are, to see our circumstances as you see them, and to be filled with the hope of the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.